0: and welcome to demo tapes a music podcast which hits rewind on the careers of some of the world's biggest bands to reminisce about their breakout moments i'm sarah kemp and this my companion on this trip down memory lane is rick martin
1: so we've definitively decided now (laughs) whether you're my companion Whether you're the Batman to my Robin, whether you're the Lennon to my McCartney, the Morrissey to my Ma. Come on, the, the, right. the listeners want to know now.
0: I did my research, I told you last time. I love Lennon and McCartney, so I will be John Lennon. because My brother used to call me John Lennon when I was a kid because I had similar hair. So do you mind being McCartney?
1: Yeah, I can live with being, with being Paul McCartney. Maybe not the frog chorus Paul McCartney or the... Mull of Kintyre, Paul McCartney, but definitely kind of early to mid-60s Paul McCartney. Yeah, I'll take that.
0: Cool. All right. Done. Right. Uh, So thanks for hitting the download button on this week's episode. Again, hopefully you've listened to the previous two episodes. Um, As mentioned on the last week's episode, which focused on the emergence of the Arctic Monkeys, um, we're going from the sublime to the ridiculous this week and focusing on the scene that time forgot, um, and that is New Rave.
1: But are we focusing on the sublime to the ridiculous? Was it actually as ridiculous... As our memories and other people's <laughs> memories maybe maybe have it, <laughs> or how thing. the media
0: portrayed or still portray it. So, yes, exactly. it it's an interesting question. I think we were We're. I'm. I'm so excited about this one because this was kind of my sweet spot um, of of music and also just about the time that I was around and it was around and it was just the most fun. Um, but you know what we're going to look at today is was was New Rave as much of a joke as many of you remember or the fans um, and if you can remember it at all. There was a quote actually I read in. From Jamie Reynolds, who is, uh, is in Claxons, and he said, "New wave is like the sixties because if you were there, you can't remember it." And I think that's probably a little bit appropriate. Apart from us, we we both seem to have quite good memories for yeah. We for, managed to, to dig managed back to through to dig back social, back social the, media, yeah. And, ex- email oh accounts god, and exactly. So. Yeah, um, but yeah, we want to know whether there was actually a lot more credible music than those bands actually got credit for.
1: I think the answer to that is probably yes, but let's not give too much of a spoiler. Um, but obviously we're not alone on this trip this week. Uh, we've actually got another special guest. Um, Sarah was fortunate to be in Berlin a few weeks ago and met up with Sam Potter of Late of the Pier, uh, a band who were really kind of at the heart of the new rave scene uh, back in the day. Recently they celebrate the 10-year anniversary of their debut album, their only album sadly uh, to date, mm, uh, sad. Fancy Black Channel. So um, yeah, that's coming up a little bit later on. In the podcast, and that yeah, it's re- really it's really exciting to it hear um, what you two were actually chatting about when when you met up in Berlin.
0: I tell you what, though, it was it was quite funny because I got to Berlin on the Friday, and we went I went out for dinner with my boyfriend, and we had a wine tasting. And we we went back to the hotel. That's a very our, new rave visit. Well, well, you know I'm 31 now, so <laughs> I'm well over those new rave days. I tell you that. But um, this is my new the new style going out partying. But no, the reason I'm telling you this is because we thought we went back to the hotel because I thought I knew I was going to see Sam at some point over this weekend. I was there for four days. I didn't know when this would be. But just in case it was going to be the Saturday, we thought, we'll go back to bed and have a good night's sleep and wake up really feeling really refreshed on the Saturday and then we could probably go out the Saturday night, whatever. Went to bed, went to sleep at about 1am, woke up, boom, at 4 o'clock, couldn't sleep for another 4.5 hours, felt absolutely horrendous, it's never happened to me before. I think I was so excited about getting there and and seeing Sam and and having this chat to him. Anyway, so... I think it
1: was more probably you were returning to your new rave days, that actually your body (laughs) knew that you shouldn't be going to bed at 1, you should (laughs) be going to bed because, at four, well this is just funny, getting up and this is, then partying well, the this, is, this
0: is the funny bit about it so I, I woke up well woke up i was awake and i got a message from sam at about nine o'clock in the morning saying hey do you want to meet in about an hour for breakfast and i was like oh my god so i told him i was like yeah um i've been awake since four uh so yeah sorry it was like you're in berlin you should be going to bed at four <laughs> not waking up at four so anyway yeah so so my my interview with him with him was it was really great actually but I didn't feel great, so I hope it so it's doesn't fair come across like this.
1: Fittingly, you kinda of felt like you were on drugs while doing the interview. Probably, right? yeah, yeah. I felt like I had that massive kind of zombie-like, state. zombie-like
0: state, jet lag, but I got through it, so it was it was it was really fun. It was really good to see him. I hadn't seen him for a decade, so um yeah, so that's coming up later.
1: I think as with the Arctic Monkeys episodes, which kicked off demo tapes, um we'll be doing a new rave side B. We'll be charting the careers of some of the other bands who define the era. You know, obviously from bands like Scene Kings, Claxons, and Sunshine Underground from Leeds to CSS, New York Pony Club, Lost Penguin. We'll probably make some names up of bands that didn't exist. (laughs) Um, No one will
0: ever know because that was a a time where you could just call yourself anything and and anything. Well, exactly. Yeah,
1: you you could form a band in 10 minutes and have a tune out. You know, pretty pretty much, much, pretty much the same day. But um, yeah, we, we think there's a lot to get into in this. So today we're going to more focus on the kind of emergence of New Rave and some of the beginning stages of, and Sarah actually has more than a tale to tell of that, having kind of been around the scene before Clatsons even formed. Before we get on to that, I think it's important to start right back at the very beginning, rewind back to the early days of the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sarah, when we were thinking about this episode, we kind of came to this conclusion that maybe some of our listeners may not even be aware of new, what New Rave was. Yep. Um, you know, as you said before, if you were there, you probably didn't remember it. So should we start by kind of... Um, <laughs> Setting the scene a little bit, what what actually was New Rave? That's quite a broad question, isn't it? Whether you were there or you weren't, what was New that's Rave? It's a
0: hard one to answer because I think everyone's going to have a different opinion to this, and I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if our answers here ruffled a few feathers because I think it's quite well noted that some bands, in particular, didn't really like to be tarred with a new ra- New Rave brush. Mm. Um, Late of the Pier was one of them that's quite interesting actually because I said to you know I opened up the interview with Sam, and, and I guess you'll all hear hear his quote on this. Um, about the fact that they were they were there at the new rave time and, and he said you know we didn't really want to be part of that scene but they they were there and that was kind of it so they, they just dealt with it another band Claxons and I think the miscon well is it a misconception probably a popular misconception is that Claxons were the ones who started new rave and yeah
1: they are I mean that if you think of new rave you think if you, of you think of
0: new rave you think of Claxons you know or go the, the, you know things that were at their gig was definitely a defining moment of, of new rave like um, you know glow sticks and glow in the dark paint on people's faces and I saw a photograph the other day, an old photograph of someone just wearing pants and loads of new Gold
1: Lame l- 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 trousers. Gold
0: American apparel. It was and that's the, just it was the, the highlight of American apparel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. But um so yeah, so what is what was New Wave? It was just kind of an amalgamation of lots of different I I think we were chatting earlier today and I said it was kind of a bit like for me, um, the a uh, postmodern version of the sixties. Um it, it was it, There were a lot of art scene people around there, a lot of kind of art students and uh, people, very, very creative people from the creative industries, all just kind of doing what they wanted to do and expressing themselves by, via colorful, bright, bright colorful things, weird instruments, and just a bit of madness.
1: See, I prefer to go by the, the dictionary definition. If you go and look this up in the dictionary, I'm sure New Rave would definitely be there. Which was the Urban Dictionary. It maybe. was. It was. <laughs> it was mid-noughties. It was bands who definitely had a lot of synth in there. They were all influenced by kind of the rave scene of yeah, the uh, late '80s, early Acid '90s, in, and and that's stuff you can still find on YouTube of people kind of gurning the faces off after three days spent in a, a kind of field on, around the M25. You know, that's where Orbital, for example, got yeah. their name because there was those orbital kind of raves. And I, and I think. Uh, you know when i when I think about why did New Rave emerge at the time that it did you know and every, everything musically, most things that emerge are kind of a reaction to something else, yeah, and I think maybe at that time you know it was it was Britain going into kind of recession if you want to get really political about this there'd been a lot of um social commentary pop that had come out before that, so Artsy Monkeys so we talked about last week, a lot of that was about gritty realism, you know, and people like the streets doing social commentaries, and I feel like maybe New rave was. Kind of um, the, the rock and indie scene having kind of a period of escapism because yep. and a kind of a period of maybe not taking itself too seriously.
0: Definitely. I mean. Y- y- i don't think you look back in uh, at some of the music videos and you listen back to them, the music they can't have been taking themselves that seriously <laughs> and i think hmm. there's an interview we'll go on to talk about other bands in um the side b but there was an interview i wrote with uh, kevin from lost penguin he said that he didn't ever want to admit that he was part of lost penguin until they broke up um so that kind of tells you a bit about what people actually thought of the scene to be honest people were there to have fun and just Go a bit crazy and just let loose, and yeah, as you said, escapism. I think that's that's a really key word there. Um, but also, I remember a story from from Jamie from Claxons when he he said that they so they covered it's not over yet, which was a, a, a massive kind of nineties house dance song. And uh, he said he used to go to a he used to get in he used to travel to a place he used to have like all these parties in a w- weird fields and things like that. And he was trying to find it. And um, so him and his friends mates were trying to find it. They couldn't actually find it but he remembers having it that on tape cassette and that being kind of one of the influences of how why he started that sound in Claxons, mm. but also like kind of mixed with all of the stuff that was going on at the time as well so all of the creativity and all of the art i think new rave was not just about the music definitely not just about the music because if it was it wouldn't have got anywhere It was more about the cultural time the culture of the time but rick I know you just said that I was there. I was, I was there. I was right in the middle of it for a long, for probably for all of it actually. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if you were as much. Um, I know you definitely wrote about it. But what? Who do you think came up with the name New Rave? Like, where did that actually come from?
1: So um, I've done my digging. I've done. I've gone back of into kind of the, 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 the 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 rock rock annals, and it is believed, and whether this is myth or legend, always, you know, always print the legend that it was come up with by a guy from Angular Records, a guy called Joe Daniel um and it was used on a flyer to promote klaxon's first ever gig um which is i think is quite funny when you consider that they then did all they could to kind of run away from the term
0: um, mm-hmm. new rave and they
1: kind of described it as like a joke that got out of hand and that you know they were being kind of awesome, ironic it? about it um and and that you know it, it, they weren't really kind of serious but then i think there's an interesting juxtaposition going on within klaxons in that yes they did they were taking the piss in some ways but in other ways they're quite serious musicians that was quite ser- the first album was not full of you know, joke sense and novelty rave stuff. It, there was kind of there were serious there were musicians good songs at, the on at the same I mean, there, time.
0: There are lots of good songs on there. In fact, I pretty much liked all of them. I mean, Atlantis to Interzone, you could argue, was a bit silly. But it was it's a great song. You know, think about going into an indie disco It's one of those songs that actually gets you all on the dance floor and everyone unites singing from Atlantis to Interzone. It's like, wow, that's powerful. Well, it's a
1: clarion call, isn't it? That, that kind of opening, opening yeah. siren. But then you could almost argue that the the chorus and, and the verse are almost a little bit garage rock in a weird sort of yeah. way. That, that kind of shout-along chorus well, isn't very said. rave, is it? They
0: said that they were more of a punk band, and and that to me kind of speaks volumes because they were a little bit like that. They were shout, they were screaming from Atlantis to Interzone within the within the chorus. Like that was that's it. A lot of their music was quite punk influenced.
1: You mentioned there you walk onto an indie disco dance floor and Atlantis to, to Interzone comes on. I think this is a good time to kind of. Um, for you to kind of paint the scene, and, and me as well, you know, I I went out around the new rave time as well. But let's really try and kind of paint the picture of what your typical night out at the height of new rave would have looked like. You walk into it to a club. What's the club called? Where is it?
0: Well, so there's two phases to this, I guess. Like begin before new rave, and I'm doing the inverted commas with my fingers here, guys. (laughs) You probably can't, you definitely can't see me, but um, before it was, I I think it originated around Nottingham, and around the Liars Club scene, um, and all the the music that was going on around then, and certainly later the pier, um, they started in the Liars Club scene, and it was a a DJ called Errol Alkin that kind of gave them their big um, break, as it were, and he produced their album. That was actually before Claxons even formed. I don't know if you knew that. But no, no, yeah, go on, so, tell me more. So, so, um, so I used to, Simon from Claxons went to university in Nottingham. Right. Because um, I've was, got to say
1: that this did seem a quite a controversial comment that New Rage started in Nottingham. And, and coincidentally you're from Nottingham but go on yeah 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 K- well continue down kind this path.
0: of a well actually yeah so I'll, I'll continue I, I might be wrong so I might get a barrage of abuse from people who are listening uh, who, who said no no it started in Milton Keynes it was yeah, East London well Shoreditch I mean it, I think it developed to, to, to Shoreditch and it got picked up here and kind of everyone here in London ran with it it played into the it Shoreditch, played into the Shoreditch we'll come on to that yeah, we'll come, later I was on, about yeah. to I was about to go into that then but I'm not going to but anyway yeah Um, in Nottingham and, and Simon from Claxons was, was uh, a union Nottingham and I was there, when I used to go out, I was at college, so I hadn't gone to university yet because I came to university in London. So my final year at college was when this all started happening. Um, and I was friends with all of the, the university students who were in their, final, their second to last or their final year in Nottingham. Um, and I say friends in the loosest sense of the word because we'd go we'd go out to Liars Club and, and Stealth and the the rescue rooms um and you'd literally go to one of these nights and you'd know everybody there because it was very much a scene and everyone had their own identity, everyone you knew everyone's nickname, you knew where everyone did. So it was, what, it was, it was were your friends
1: in the we are your friends, you'll never be alone again <laughs> kind of sense, <laughs> Pretty right? Pretty
0: much, yeah. I mean literally um, one of my best friends at the time, Kim, um she used to go out to, to rescue rooms on her own on a Saturday night because she knew she'd get there and she'd just meet everyone and have a good night. And actually that was one of the things about Nottingham that was the Nottingham music scene that was just very powerful and that when I came down to London was kind of lacking. But anyway, I'm, dig- I'm digressing. Um, so, yeah, Liars Club was at the very heart of it, and a guy called Ricky Haley um, started Liars Club, Club um, and then subsequently a festival called Dot to Dot, which, which is... Which I went to, Which yeah. you went to, yeah. Because I also um, lived,
1: for the listeners, I also lived in Nottingham, coincidentally, Yeah. at pretty much the same time as you were leaving. So I came in 2008. Yeah. You left in... I think
0: I left in 2009,
1: so we probably had a year had about crossover. a year crossover, yeah. So we will definitely been we'll in, the definitely places, be in the same places, same gigs, gigs yeah. but, but we wouldn't have spoken to each other. No,
0: definitely not. Not a chance to hell. Definitely not. I was with the band, you weren't. Well, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've already been over that. <laughs> we've already been over that. But yeah, so Simon was quite a big figure in that scene he was a very he had a massive presence actually like all the girls fancied him he's a massive guy he was, isn't
1: he he's the one who's about 8 foot
0: tall he's, 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 he's quite a tall guy I mean, he had like massive hair <laughs> but he was very um, he had a charm a, a, a very he was very charming very quietly spoken quite shy in a in a sense but was always kind of the first one on the dance floor and you, everyone would just everyone would gravitate to him he had massive charisma um, and I know he that was, feeling I know, very, I know I know, I know it's like to be like yeah, that yeah whatever Whatever, you're not as cool as you think you are, Rick. Um, But everyone, yeah, used to gravitate to him. And and I I was slightly in awe of him, um, which meant that I didn't really ever get to talk to him as much as I'd like to have done because I was always very much on the outskirts because I was very shy myself. Um, I mean, I guess everyone knew who everyone else was. But yeah, so I, I remember I've got memories of him kind of bopping around the dance floor to the Libertines, which... Didn't at the time I was like, oh, he just wants to be like a frontman of the, the Libertines. He wants to be Pete. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember having a conversation with him. We were sat down and we were sat on a table of people. We were at a place called the Social, which is where Liars Club was held. And we were downstairs before before the night really started and kicked off and everyone else had gone to the bar and just left me and Simon sat at the table and I remember being quite terrified at the time because I was so shy and I fancied him and I was like I don't really know what to say but ended up having a conversation with him about um I said oh yeah I'm going to university in London in in a couple of months and he went oh yeah I'm going to London I'm going to start a band and I was like oh cool okay yeah I didn't really think anything of it there we go a couple of months later Claxons started coming out, I'd moved to London, uh, I think the first time I saw them was coming back and, and actually watching them in Nottingham play Dot to Dot Festival, uh, which was weird, kind of coming back and seeing them, the band that had formed in London, I was in London, coming back to, our, to, to a home turf to watch a band that suddenly exploded and, and I met various people through them and through that scene that, yeah, kind of led me on to lots of different things. For was our, that at the rescue that rooms? Live. That was at Stealth.
1: I feel like I was at that gig.
0: That was doctored up, so you, you probably would have been there. And plate, yeah, yeah. Because yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. that was the one where it was a sea of glow sticks, the whole crowd. That's the first thing I remember from that gig. <laughs>
0: Thinking, what the hell is this?
1: Few good tunes, loads of loads of glow loads sticks. Loads
0: of glow sticks. Yeah, I remember meeting a girl called Charlie Blue, who was the lead singer of Lost Penguin, and actually. If I hadn't have met her, I hadn't have met. I wouldn't have met a lot of people that I met in London because we ended up living together in a squat in Deptford, um, randomly. Like,
1: Explain yeah. the Lost Penguin now, though. You're saying that as if they're yeah, you know, sorry, they're Lost they're Pe- Arctic monkeys, Lost sorry.
0: Penguin. Well, no, they're definitely not like Arctic monkeys. So Lost Penguin um, was a band that hailed from New Cross, and they were very much part of the the New Cross scene as youngsters, um, and they got a two-pound keyboard from Deptford Market, or I think it was a couple of quid anyway, and decided that they were going to start a band. They had a bassist, a keyboard player, and, and a singer, who was Charlie Blue, who was this um, kind of very um, opinionated uh, Scottish girl who was quite feisty, let's say, um, and they sang songs about, you know, my dad is an ice cream man and all that kind of I listen, stuff. I, it,
1: in preparation for this, I listened to that, yeah. yeah, and it's it's definitely it of its time. It
0: except for Tuesday, you know, it's like screaming down By the of it's time, I mean, of, I mean, of, its time. I
1: mean, I'm sorry, your mates' music was rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish, I'm oh, sorry.
0: She, yeah, yeah. Oh, the thing is, that's why they didn't want to be part of that band, because it was rubbish. Anyway, we're going to talk about them and a lot of other bands in, um, in Side B, uh, but I know, Rick, you wanted to kind of mention some of them on this one to kind of give a bit of a teaser
1: yeah i guess so you know you th- the way i think of the ecosystem of new rave you know you had Claxons, you had late at the pier but then i think there's some other kind of bands who are very much of that time that you know maybe had one or two hits and then kind of disappeared think of new young pony club with ice cream they you know, you think of does it offend you yeah i'm mentioning them mainly because they were named after a line in the office which, I, which obviously That's is one of my day. other one <laughs> of my other <laughs> obsessions that i'll probably end up starting a podcast on at some point in the future when i get bored with this one um oi then you know other bands like Crystal Castles, who were kind of omnipresent um, at the time. Quite a dark kind of story of what happened with them since some of the stuff that's come out recently. That probably too dark to really go into I here. But those, yeah, people who know kind of know. Um, then other bands, The Whip, Trash. I thought was a massive track yep. around that time. Um, and then some kind of lesser known names. I just wanted to throw out there because. They were funny, like I remember because I suppose when because I worked for the enemy at the time, I would get a lot of uh, kind of promo CDs for the post. Probably on most days, I'd get five or six CDs. And would I listen to all of them? No, but occasionally I would pick through the mountain and have a listen. This band I put on called Tiger Picks, and they have a track called Disco Punk Electro Funk. Please, if you have time, go on YouTube and listen to this. <laughs> I saw the video earlier,
0: you said it's the to me most brilliant familiar. rubbish thing
1: you, you've ever heard. Um, or seen or seen or seen yeah i mean it kind of has to be seen and heard to be believed and kind of it's almost a self-parody of of new Rave. i mean obviously sarah i think there's almost too many memories to go into here and that's why we think it's worth doing uh, a side b uh, kind of later on in the series but um, i think it's probably a good time at this point to to play in your interview with sam potter from late the pier as we mentioned someone who really was kind of at the heart of this scene was at the heart of one of the Biggest bands of this scene, and, and as someone who was a big fan of their album *Fantasy Black Channel*, I'm kind of keen to kind of know what happened next because you know they were a band I think who were on the cusp of big things, and then it never quite took off for them. I don't think in, in the in the big way that I thought it would. But I think he's got a very interesting story to tell. So he
0: has, and he's got you know you you guys all hear what he's been up to specifically um, since, and mo- most recently what he's been up to, and he has been doing some really really cool things behind the scenes that you might not even know about so i think sam's time actually in the music industry is probably having a bit of a resurgence and i think we're probably going to hear a lot more of it a lot more about him in in the next kind of few years definitely
1: great perfect time to, to speak to him then
0: yeah let's go here you go guys so I'm here with Sam Potter, um, our Blade of the Pier, from Castle Donington, not far where I'm from. Um, we're randomly in a cafe in Berlin. So thanks for meeting with me. It's been a few years, hasn't it? Um, I can't, I, I don't even remember the last time I saw you, like, because it's about a decade ago, if I'm honest. But um, lots has happened since then. Um, and I just really wanted to talk to you about, um, first and foremost, where you guys started out in the new rave Tell me what that was all about
2: and like what used to go in and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's um it's a strange thing to talk about ten years after it happened. And even at the time we we always says it didn't happen. Oh. Because okay. New Rave was one of those It's one of those scenes where nobody wanted to be part of it.
0: Yeah, lots of people were. Why is that? Yeah. Why did you why do you think that was I don't know. Is that how it was at the time?
2: Was that? Well, I think what? I think when we started making music, we, we were trying desperately not to fit in with genre a genre or a scene. Yeah, I think you succeeded in
0: that, to be honest
2: with you. We, well, we did, but now we're talking about New Rave and being a heritage New Rave band. <laughs>
0: wow. Do you feel old? Does it make you feel old? I mean, you're still young, but
2: does it make you feel old? I, I think I live such a irresponsible lifestyle, I'm going to be young forever, it's so I'm fine. Oh, it's, it's so. good, it's good, good. 10 years, ten years is a long time, and especially answering a question that I haven't been asked for ten years is, is quite a strange thing to think about. I
0: feel quite proud to have stumped you a little
2: bit. I, I guess ten years is always a number as well, because we're, we're doing a reissue at the minute. I just wrote a book, which is ten years in the future of what later the peer might be and all these questions they, they feel like a study in time. Wow.
0: So tell me a bit more about that. Are, are later the peer back together. Is, that, is not, that what's happening? Not
2: Especially No. Like we're we're thinking about things together. we we've made this book together.
0: Oh you've done it together, awesome. so, so Sam did all the illustrations
2: and I did the writing Bailey kind of helped us by confusing us and annoying us. <laughs> Is about
0: his role in the band? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the little provocateur. Brilliant.
0: So when's that out? Um, out now. Out oh, now? Yeah. Cool. Where can people get
2: it? Uh, rock Trade.
0: Rock Trade. Nice. Head down to Rock Trade, everybody. That's where you get, to
2: yeah. get it from. So so back to your, your question about where we started. Uh, we, we started in a village. We. We were all kind of friends, half friends, and then became better friends the older we got. The more we realized that nobody else in the village was really like us. And (laughs) with our lack of social skills, we had something in common. And we started making music. Sam had inherited some nice analog synthesizers from his father, and he lived in a little kind of attic room and started making music and jamming. then at some point kind of bringing all the disparate, weird electronic demos Sam had together with the more boisterous, typical post punk things. Were you guys going
0: out to gigs together or I
2: I think this was still a little bit early, so this was like 15, 16. So why did you
0: do that then? Was that just Sam's kind of you said it, He's got an interest. He had an interest in
2: music. How would he inherited these synthesizers? Where did that come kind of from? So, so, his dad was in a proto kind of electro band called My Dog Has No Nose.
0: That's awesome.
2: I, like, from, from what I remember, they were a ragtag bunch of musicians. From, I think the guy was from Poland, know, so. right. and they made a kind of all-you-can-eat world buffet. Funneled it through some early synthesizers, and uh, kind of created what they did. And Sam's mum as well was she. She was in a band that taught with gang before. Oh wow drum kit we had actually was the guy from Gang of Force drum kit. No idea, that's that's
0: amazing. Yeah, that's really so cool. Awesome. Also you des- destined for success then. I mean you can't not you can't fail if you've got the guy from Gang Force Kit.
2: I think one of the biggest driving forces of our success was the fact that none of us really studied in any other subjects. So right. we were skipping lots of lessons and we, we were never going to be academics and we were never going to go to university. Right. And we had nothing else to fall back on, so we, we had to keep I making kind of music.
0: So, tell me a bit more about. So, because I'm from Nottingham as well, and that's how we know each other. Um, again, I'm, memories are quite hazy about those days, and it's a long time ago, so I can't really remember the pinpoint of the time where we actually met or what parties we were out at together, or anything like that. But I know for a fact that you guys were always at Liar's Club, as was I. Um, so. That was kind of a bit of a driving force behind the band, wasn't it? And, and setting up a bit of an inspiration. Ricky Haley, yeah, an interesting sort of semi, semi-celebrity back in those days. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess what was really nice about Liars Club is that if, at the time we were we were just about getting them on the internet and downloading as much music from as far afield as we could. And back in those days, there wasn't too many kind of gatekeepers that you respected too much. And you're doing lots of things on Soul Seek, and you're going through people's folders, and you'll find like, a really cool band like Rowland Heat, and you see what else they have. And, and with, with Lions Club, it felt, like, um, it felt like a physical version of stumbling across a guy on the internet who had amazing taste in music, and you could download
0: everything. And
2: not just that, you were kind of you was experiencing it in a, a really sweaty room. It lots was of people in drag and colourful clothes and bands from like New Orleans with puppet shows before the gig and a lot of excess, a lot of sex and a lot of very strange things happening in front of our 17-year-old eyes. Yeah. What a way to grow up. Yeah.
0: What a way to be yeah, transported into adulthood. It's
2: kind of been downhill from there. Um
0: oh, no don't say um,
2: that. Even living in Berlin, like I live in like a sanitized version of it. Kind of take all the colour out, um yeah, safe spaces and, um, the floors are less sticky, like. Do, do you know what I look back on those days though and, and really
0: like miss it and cherish it because I guess in Nottingham in general wants to go out whether it was at Lies of the Social or whether it was at home and and stealth. Rescue
2: rooms. Yes, I mean that. That did. I guess you always have an attachment with those those early years of being an adult, where you're you're kind of playing properly for the first time. You're you're playing, but not with boys, You're playing with you know, drugs, and you're playing with girls and boys, and you're always gonna have a nostalgia for it. And I think. That's probably what your podcast is about as well, really. Like, nostalgia, kind of... People used to be nostalgic for the 60s and the 70s, and then that, that nostalgia is always shorter and shorter. Yeah. But, but your personal nostalgia is always going to be fondest in those, in those early days of experimenting with... What it is to be an adult, I guess. Definitely, and I
0: think yeah, you're right. Like ten years later, I think this is the this is the first kind of time. I don't think anyone's really t- talked of this t- that moment in time in the future, kind of looking back yet. I think it, it's, it's about time people start doing that for that time because yeah. it was such a, a massive kind of for me anyway, and I guess for you and a lot of people out there, it's like a massive moment in history for music. And it was all
2: just a bit bonkers and crazy, and, and didn't really follow any rules. I think, I think Liars Club was like a really nice example of it as well, because it was
0: there was no real
2: Liars Club sound. It, it was really Technicolor, it was really thrown all over the place, and a lot of the music he was hearing was two different things smashed together and making something new. Like there's something. I and mean, if we was going to be really wanky and academic about it, we'd say like it's it very postmodern. Yeah. And that's kind of what the early 2000s were. It was, it was mixing two things together and there being no set style or no set scene, but um, just like an attitude to, to try and break things apart and put them in new combinations. Yeah. And that's that's hugely what later Appeal was. We were, we were trying so desperately to be different
0: don't, say, don't use the word desperate. desperate we, for but him. we
2: were. We, were we, we grew up in such a boring village and we, we kind of had no friends and oh. we, we, we we were making music to escape. And there, there was a desperation behind it and that's probably why it came out sounding yeah. quite lofty and kind of epic, yeah. if I want like want a better word. Like, I
0: was re-listening to the album because I knew I was coming out to, to meet you. I was re-listening to it on a plane and kind of, a couple of days before it, at work actually it was a great great place to listen to it sat at my desk around the Bible loads of people with no no sound going on oh listening to your album <laughs> and probably just like popping away and everyone's going what the hell is she listening to but um, it, was, it is it's a mishmash I mean you've I've read you've read all the reviews about what people said about it it's kind of a crazy mishmash but just brilliant and actually still people are still talking about it 10 years later
2: yeah, thanks. And I, I think the reason they do is because we were... The, the, the word desperate in you says, don't use the word desperate. And the reason you say that is because it's it's so uncool. Like, yeah, yeah, cool yeah. cool is like this serene kind of laid-back thing. And yeah,
0: yeah.
2: I think Liars Club was amazing for us because we realized that you don't, you don't have to be that to be cool. Yeah, yeah. And we made something that was really... I kind never of like bomb, bomb what's We had bombastic, bombastic. And, and a little obnoxious. And yeah. the idea of anyone doing anything like that now is so uncool that they wouldn't do they it. They wouldn't do it. Yeah. Oh,
0: wow. And that's so probably you're why it sounds so uncool. Yeah. You're cool.
2: <laughs> I don't know if we ever were cool, but we we were we were aware of this thing called cool, and we were aware that we, we didn't give a shit. Yeah not giving a shit is accidentally cool again, I guess, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And I also want to talk about the fact that we worked with Errol Argon. And I remember, actually, when I had a house party in London, Bailey came along. Okay. I've got a really amazing memory. The only memory of the house party, actually. Everyone had left and he was just kind of knocking around at the end with a few people. He went into my freezer, got an ice lolly out, started okay,
2: so you Are recording this? Yeah. This is really good. <laughs> wow.
0: It's a great crazy... And I'd forgotten about this until I'd got in touch with him. And I was thinking back, back to all of these times. But yeah, he got an ice lolly out of my freezer. It must have been like a clinical or something. I used to quite like them. Um, and he sat on my kitchen counter and he was going, Oh yeah, you know, Errol Alken's been in touch. He wants to work with us. And I remember thinking, you're bragging. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. In a nice way.
2: He's <laughs> just nonchalantly there. It's, <laughs> he's stolen your last Calippo.
0: <laughs> just sat on my kitchen counter. I didn't really know him very well. I was just like, who is this guy just like telling me that Errol Arkin lost him? <laughs> like, so yeah, and then it obviously it happened.
2: It did happen. And, yes. and
0: yeah, so tell tell me your story about
2: Well we we, we first heard Errol um <laughs> At club, I think we'd heard we'd done like a, a mix. I guess I might be wrong. So I remember hearing his like first club in, and I, I remember listening to that in my car. We was all excited, and we were we were kind of ready. Like Lies Club wasn't in like the, the hugest building in the world. It's like the social, wasn't it? So
0: yeah. so, so what's yeah. that like?
2: T- 200 250
0: yeah like really small like upstairs loft kind of place
2: yeah and we we were doing that thing we did where we were still feeling a little bit nervous because we weren't drunk or high yet and kind of (laughs) kind of almost kicking around like a bag packet on the dance floor kind of little boy kind of gear and we was we was like waiting around and we was like everyone's gonna be here we, we we thought he'd be like this really vivacious black guy for some reason
0: oh, <laughs> name like Errol I think it I was it like was
2: just the name Errol we, we was expecting something very different and then kind of like get, got later on in the night like um, and then it was like headline DJ time and it was like where's Errol and and then like the DJ put on window liquor oh
0: brilliant
2: and it was like Like one, two in the morning or something, and it was fucking celebration. Everyone was dancing in very strange ways, and I think it kind of dawned on us that that was Errol, (laughs) and we like looked, and there was this tall, skinny Turkish white guy DJing, and we
0: was like, "That's Errol." Did he know about you guys already? He did. did. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to like fight through the haze of my memories, but. (laughs) He was he was really early on to us, and when it came around to producing the records, it was between Errol and I think there other names thrown around and stuff, but it was like we we need to do it with Errol and. Oh yeah, I mean he was
0: like god at the time. He really
2: one. was, and like it was at the point where dance music and guitar music was meeting and. Like within him and LCD and Solax he was he was royalty. Yeah. So so we had to do it with him. And meeting him is a very very sweet, very soft-spoken, gentle kind of wise guy. Yeah, not like a wise guy. Oh, wise no, guy. like a wise guy. But like a really clever guy. And like just shoveling out all this amazing music to us, like making us mix CDs and. Uh-huh. It was, it was really sweet, and I, I even remember the first time going around his house, because he, he was like, let's get some food, guys. And we were kind of doing our late of the pier, white eyed, bleary thing, going through London Waitrose shops with all the bright white lights in there. And he's like, how about this? And he was just like, fuck it, I'll just buy these things. And we went back to his house. He made like some just vegetable pasta dish. It was very simple. But what was amazing was seeing him cook. He had two pans, and he had his kind of hot top, hot point kind of stove, and seeing him turn one on, the other one on, and the two pans and one, and other, we and he was just fixated It's like teaching dinner for us. <laughs> oh, my okay.
0: god. oh my god, that's brilliant! And we were so, we were so
2: in awe and.
0: He's DJing dinner
2: for us. Wow. <laughs> I think I think it took it took like a few weeks of seeing him every day for us to kind of be be there with him as Errol Elkin the person. Maybe even the name Elkin, it's got like a kind of mystical sounds like a Lord of the Rings character or something.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I think we used to call him Feral Falcon at one point. Feral
0: Falcon. why? It's Just it because was funny. <laughs> Did he like that? Were
2: like the naughty children? <laughs> we, we kind of were. Like, the, the way I see it in my head is, even that time in Waitrose, just feels like he was walking around and he was grabbing onto his legs, kind of being dragged across the floor. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my
0: I, I've got really good images of that going through all night like that. But he, he, was, he was good. I Did you ever play the MySpace on oh, this? That's something I think
2: to ask you. No, I, no, we didn't. didn't I remember. I, did? I didn't think you did. I, like, I remember a funny time on that. Do but like, you? Like, Friends. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I was um, the first ever intern MySpace had, and I was responsible for like curating the street team for the bus. Right. So I was, I was there like every festival. So I, I would have been on the bus. Do you, in do the same you know party.
2: the time when Justice played?
0: Yes, I was there. So and I didn't you, know, them. you know, you know, it was the, a disaster.
2: Do you know the bus got like? Yeah,
0: got caught on fire. It
2: didn't. Like some somebody yeah. dropped poppers on the floor. I was
0: the one it was That was but my, my, that was my mate Pete. Oh no. <laughs> God. God. Every, you got everyone picked off the bus. Yeah. My
2: mate Pete did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a real disaster that day because that happened. Someone thought the bus was catching on fire, which now I know it wasn't. <laughs> and then I had to go and interview them, and I actually interviewed Errol at the same day. And I had I was like 18 years old, 19 years old, never done an interview in my entire life. They fed me like vodka and beer, and I just. I'm, I'm, I hope that video is nowhere, basically, because I think they both were both like,
2: hmm? yeah. are you asking, are you actually asking us any questions? They're both, they're both very gentle, kind of. I remember Errol being lovely,
0: actually. But, but just even like, like, like
2: Justice as well, they're kind of, they're, they're a different the type
0: boy, of cool. They're yeah. like
2: that French cool, French cool, hiding behind loads of different layers of cool yeah, yeah, yeah. before the real person is there kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you
0: ever work with them or, or meet them?
2: We, we toured with them a little bit. Yeah. So, see, we saw their, their show quite a lot, which was really nice.
0: I think I must have seen that shit. Like, I was obsessed with it. Yeah. I must have seen them at 20 times. There was
2: a point where I left my my MacBook backstage and... Xavier drew like a Mickey Mouse on it with Sharpie. Oh my god. Were you
0: annoyed or happy? About well, at first it's
2: I was cool. like, this is this is nice because yeah. they're French and Parisians that are obviously graphic designers at some point in their early years. Yeah. And it's it just a little lopsided. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't a very good Mickey Mouse. He was
0: probably a bit lopsided at the time, though, really, wasn't he?
2: This was like in Norway in the day, though. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Stranger things have happened. Who knows? (laughs) Than being being weird in Norway in the day.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, no, those those are fun, though. So you didn't actually play the bus, yeah, that's what I was to ask you, because that was just another crazy time. Was
2: was there room on there for.
0: Yeah, people used to come. What, the bands? Yeah. yeah, yeah, people used to come. So what we did is we got people that were playing at the festival and then asked them to come on. and we had like, the Maccabees, platforms came on. Um, and they just do a bit of... Um, they didn't like, have a full setup or anything like that. But if yeah. they got a guitar, they'd come and sing. Laura Marling actually is came on. That was, that was interesting because
2: I think it was about six, 15 or 16. Yeah, we, we actually played... I'll, I'll, I think it was our first ever London gig with Laura Marling's first ever gig, and that was that was under a football ground. It was underneath Brentford Football Club. Oh, Okay. Weird. Yeah, our manager he he wasn't our manager at the time, but he's putting on these underage shows. And I remember it because did you know Ivor Cutler?
0: Yeah.
2: Like Ivor Cutler, he died the next day, but at that night. Um, Fayley, the bassist, he recited one of his poems and then he died the next day. So he's always felt quite guilty oh about that. God, no. Yeah, no, no, And I no, think that no. might have launched Laura Marling's career as well. Wow. So, I mean,
0: she's, she, she, was an, she was an anomaly, I think, at that time. because She wasn't like anything else that was ever out at that time. Yeah, she was still pretty. She was a brush. I still
2: really like her. She's yeah. she's kind of like as old as nature, isn't she? Yeah. She's, she's
0: quite wise beyond her years as well.
2: Yeah, there's there's like a lyricism to her that most teenagers will never yeah, ever yeah. have, even no. when they're eighty six. No like, well,
0: never, never, yeah. never, Um so also I wanted to ask you about your recent work with Franz Ferdinand. They to, yeah. me, to me they uh, they're the band actually that I went to see them when they opened at the enemy tour, I can't remember what year it was. Me too. And, did at you Rock city? Yeah, at Rock city. Yeah. And I remember I didn't know who they were before, and I think I was dragged by Ross. You remember Ross. You'll, you'll know Ross. He's from Nottingham, big tall Ross. And I got dragged because he went to college with me. Oh you mean Ross Miles? Yeah Ross Miles, oh, yeah. Nice. So he yeah. dragged me along and he was like, So how are you gonna love it? And I thought, oh I'm not really sure about this. Enemy anyway, walked in, they started um, Paul Thompson started drumming Shopping for Blood and at that literally two seconds into it, I was like, this is, that changed my that,
2: life? Was, that was the thing with Friends, it was so, like, immediate, like, yeah. liking them. There was, like, this really untangible kind of, it's almost like, you know, sound is vibration. Yeah. Like It seemed like Friends were the most vibration-y kind of band there was, yeah. like, it really, just hearing them for the first time, you kind of hope. So
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I remember that one, because I was, I saw Colin, what was he called? Colin Murphy? Oh yeah. yeah. Like the Radio Is he... One presenter. Yeah. Is he and there? he was outside and my girlfriend at the time was like, go and say hello to him, like give him a demo or something. And I, was, I was like, all right. And I went over and was like, so are you, are you, are you Colin Murray? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. And it's like, my dad really likes your radio show. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I run away. what a sting!
0: Oh, no. Yeah. But Did yeah, you do was, that on purpose or just because th- you were nervous? I think nervous? I was nervous. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. funny! You're starstruck
2: by Colin Murray. Oh, that, that was it. And then <laughs> see seeing Franz too. Yeah. Was that the first time you'd seen
0: Franz? Definitely. Yeah. Really, and was it the same for you? Just, cause, just was same was it,
2: thing. Ju- yeah, it just, just like, what the hell it seemed like hours? it. It just got into you really fast. And yeah. It was really vibrant. And they were like another band who benefiting from like crossroads of dance music and, and indie music kind of coming together. And, and
0: they, I, th- I guess they went more and more dancey as they went on, didn't they? Um, Things like my favourite songs were like Band Tango and Chocolate Bloom, which never really made never made it onto the main bits. I don't really know why. Or maybe they weren't anyone else's favourites, but I just found them, yeah, as you said, like immediately just like it hooked and Just kinda of gets you hooked. But yeah, so tell me about what you've been doing with them, because you've been hanging around with them a lot, have you?
2: Yeah, well I yeah. I helped them helped them write their new album. I had like maybe. a really a nice chance encounter with Alex where I'd been, I'd wrote a, it was kind of like a digital play about the nature of love in the YouTube comments of a Domino Records artist. I persuaded him not to do a music video and he says, just just pay me that money, I'll kind of interview my friends about love or do like Plato's Symposium yeah. 2.0. <laughs> Went on Tinder, spoke to strangers about the nature of love and created all these characters and had it all play out in the YouTube comments and the the guy from Domino was like this is cool let's go for dinner and then I had like a a nice meandering chat about the different way we consume culture these days and how kids are very very different to what Lawrence is, he's like a 60 year old guy (laughs) and I was like "Just, just hook me up with any of your artists and he's like you're like Alex he we went for, went for a drink and that drink turned into another drink and then ended up pretty much living in his his kind of country boat hole in Scotland for like six months and... Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah, was that it was, a bit surreal?
2: It was very surreal, yeah. Right. Thinking
0: back to the, the first time you saw them and...
2: Yeah, I like... was, yeah, I mean, I was starstruck when I met Colin Murray as a 15-year-old, so... Don't you mean Colin Murphy? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wow.
2: Yeah. So it was really surreal, and kind of subsequently, our conversations turned into a few songs on the album. And that's
0: really cool. So, so, which songs on the
2: album? So, like, always ascending. Yeah. So that's, that's like the, third the opening. Right, yep. right, yeah. Love that. That one was was having. Um, I'd, I'd introduced Alex to um, this cello player called Oliver Coates. And he works a lot with Mika, Livy, and the Radiohead, and we, we kind of met up and we I was kind of quizzing him about kind of classical music, kind of things they do, and things we could filter through a pop thing. And there's one thing he says about having a kind of chord progression that never feels like it's ending; it always feels like it's rising. Yeah. So we were we we're back in Ive in Scotland, and Alex was doing this thing and he'd kind of cracked it, it was this thing that went around and kind of doing that. And we're like, where's the one? And we're doing that and it's like, it does feel like we're rising, Alex. So I, I put underneath it this audio hallucination that kind of goes. But seeing those two things, we're like this is really nice. And I had a conversation about these, these scouts who one day they were setting up a hot air balloon. And it left it kind of mooring. And the three of these scouts, they had to kind of climb up to the top of the and turn it back on. Wow! And we kind of we wrote the lyrics in. It's probably like ten minutes or something. Way. Just doing it line for line, and yeah. Well, that sounds like a really lovely
0: way to write a song. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It sounds like a little yeah. magical way to write a song. Yeah, yeah. it's really
2: nice and your story. Because because I. Cause I I've I've wrote music obviously, but I've never I've never been the quasi Brian Mino character. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. A lot of
2: it I was making up on the spot. But isn't that the like, beauty of being able to
0: do that music? Like, it really it is, is. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> like I think a
2: huge thing happen. as well my my huge excitement for being there was was really in, really part of what I was giving them. Yeah. It It's like saying I'm fucking excited to be here. Yeah. You guys have been doing this for like. 14, 15
0: years. Can
2: you remember how excited it was? Just look at
0: me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me. Oh, that's very yeah. sweet. Did they, did, was it like another Errol moment? Did
2: they kind of take you under their wing? And, and yeah, like, they did. They, they're all, they're all such sweet eyes yeah. and Just, just the same thing as well. You we can have really interesting conversations and yeah. just mm-hmm. sharing music and mm-hmm. stories and living a very nice life in the Scottish countryside oh, and picking wild garlic and... Oh God. Yeah, it's yeah. a completely different world. Yeah, they're, they're really, really, really lovely people though. It's yeah. really worth stressing and yeah. Will you work with them again, do you
0: think?
2: I'd like to. And have yeah. you got any
0: other plans to work with any other bands? or What are you, what are you doing now well, anyway? I,
2: well, off, off the back of that, I got, got like a publishing deal with Domino. Nice. So,
0: Congrats. So,
2: thanks. We have the 10 year anniversary of Fantasy Black Journal and Errol's going to reissue it on his fantasy label. And part of, part of the thinking of doing it and agreeing to do it, because we, the idea of late at the pier looking 10 years backwards is, we, we'd only do it if we could look 10 years in the future as well. So we was, we was at my, my friend, like our friend's wedding like a year, year, year or so ago and we was talking about ideas and we thought it'd be nice to create a kind of musical system where we could communicate with the past and the future and
0: right. we, we were thinking
2: of our friend Ross basically right. like is, is there going to be a future where we can use sound and we can use music to kind of communicate with things inside us and outside of ourselves. And okay. after like thinking about it for a while, um, my friend Susie she her, her old stepdad is going to February Montaigne and she's been doing this project where she's like unearthing all of his old music and all of his old writing. I sometimes playing like a tribute band for him, like playing his Eating. music. Yeah. Really?
0: <laughs> and your life sounds incredible. <laughs> it's
2: quite fun. Yeah. I mean, all of Jeez. this is bullshit. I, I, I just work in like the German equivalent of Greg's, <laughs> right. right? Right. Not really, but, but yeah. I I read this this bit that he wrote, and he was he was talking about the best music listening to you as you listen to it, and like you can hear a song, and it seems like the song knows you, and can show like a mirror to your soul. And I was like, this this is really beautiful, and I I kind of thought about it, and then I. I was doing some research. I have like a friend who's like a like a NASA scientist and
0: sorry, you have a friend who's a NASA scientist? Well she used to be and wow. now she
2: now she makes kind of musical products and instruments wow. and um I I met this other guy through her who does kind of music that reacts to your body and your physiology. So like your your Apple Watch is recording all this information. And so, I, I came up with this idea where the music system is listening to your body and listening to your environment and how you feel. And it's making music for you on the fly all the time. And this music is like a soundtrack that's designed for you to feel as good as you can be. Wow. And at first, it deals with. Kind of deficiencies and things like anxiety and mm-hmm. depression, yes. and fatigue, and it's using sound and music from your past and using new algorithms to make new pieces designed around your whole person.
0: Mind blowing! <laughs> and
2: it manages to to succeed in that, so people have like a free brain to be positive all the time. And then because they're positive all the time, lots of people, they, they, they're they like, yeah, I'm going to really use this, I, I want to feel really high, I want to feel real good. And this machine is so successful in learning this from you, that the kind of implications are is that the machine is like a prophet. And wow. and this, this, this book for Rough Trade is, it's like the 2028 edition of the manual. And it's got forward in there from from us. The designers on it. It's got some of the science involved. It's got some of the modules. And I'm I'm busy making one of the modules at the minute. I've got got things coming up in Berlin in like a week's time where I've made one of the modules so and get involved or, and use it. So it's um,
0: actually going to
2: happen. It's yeah. It's it's, it's, it's like it's a spec- twenty twenty
0: eight yeah. is going to be. It's I've i wrote it the
2: future. I've, I've wrote it as a fiction and it's gonna happen.
0: Oh my goodness me, that is that's insane! I've never heard anything like that before. That's really cool. It's a
2: really good thing to do for yourself. Yeah. You, it's like writing a science fiction business plan. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my
0: god! And
2: yeah. and the luxury of being an artist and not having to worry too much about my next part-time job for. The next two months, when my money runs out. <laughs> yeah, like, when you go on all your holidays, yeah. and you're
0: like, oh no.
2: Is, is is that you get to kind of design your your future in like really bizarre ways, wow. and that's kind of something we did for late Repair as well. Is we we kind of speculated a kind of really outlandish, extravagant future, and we tried to soundtrack it, and and it kind of came true.
0: And then maybe that's why it still sounds relevant today and it will probably still sound relevant in 2028 and beyond.
2: I think think the sound of young adults being excited about the future (laughs) is always going to be relevant.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oh, brilliant.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to get myself down to rough trade and and get a copy because that sounds really cool. Yeah, great. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me today. It's been amazing. It's it's good to see you again and um, let's let's catch up in another 10 years. Yeah. And uh, see what you've got planned for 10 years. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you can test out the machine.
0: Test out the machine. There we go. You had it here first.
1: So that was quite a wide-ranging interview with Sam Potter. There, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as as I did. Uh, quite a lot to get stuck into, really. There wasn't there. How how how, how, how was he?
0: He was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. So I was sat there uh, waiting for him to arrive, obviously bleary-eyed and and hating my life. And he arrived, and I stood up, and I fell over the table. <laughs> <laughs> I really started a good, um, g- gave him a good first impression after not seeing him for a decade. Sarah is
1: quite a clumsy character <laughs> for, quite, for the And
0: quite a big, you know, I've got big long gangly, arms and gangly, I'm fingers. kind of like, you know, everywhere. So stood up, tripped over the table, um, so that was a good start. <laughs> I wonder, I don't even know if he even noticed. Um, just a great guy, like really actually quite, um, as soon as he starts talking, really engaging so I was kind of hanging off some of his words. He was kind of speaking quite very slowly and softly. softly, yeah, And considered. and it was really, really interesting. Despite having hardly having had hardly any sleep, I was still able to really concentrate and kind of love everything he was saying. And I think that's why it made such a good interview. So I
1: think what was interesting for me was the kind of, you know, the question I had coming into this interview, this interview when I knew you were going off to do it is, what happened next for Later the Pier? You know, and obviously we know some of the really sad stuff about one of the members you know sadly passing away mm-hmm. but i meant more from a kind of artistic point of view especially this band that put this album that still people look back on and say we will think was a great debut what happened next and i think the fact that he's working with alex and the rest of franz ferdinand i thought was yeah. really interesting
0: yeah and i like that story as well so we've the first time we both saw franz ferdinand was at the same gig in uh, the Anim- the enemy tour actually in nottingham um and i loved i loved asking you about that and and saying you know did you feel the same way I felt when you saw that and he said absolutely so to me I was like I didn't know that he'd seen them there and, and to me that was really exciting and the fact that he'd worked with them so Franz Ferdinand and we will come on to this another, in another podcast is that they are the band that changed my life actually and that and particularly that very first moment of the very first song Shopping for Blood that they played on that NME tour changed my life and to hear him say similar thing and then now he's working with them or has worked with them in their little Scottish bolt hole that's just to me so cool and and I feel like he also knows how cool it is as well, you know, his, he kind of really realises what an amazing thing that is.
1: Well, I was also interested to hear about the book, you know, I think that's something I may well go away and, and have a little read of. I think that's really interesting, that the, the concept they've come up with there, which is obviously they're looking backwards at an album they put out ten years ago, which was supposed to sound like the future anyway. And then they're now looking forward 10 years from now yeah. in terms of what they'll be doing in, in 10 years. I think that's kind of typical of, of the kind of spirit of that band.
0: But also using technology to be able to create something, a kind of a force for good. That's what really came out of it for me. And it's very, it's very arty. It's very creative and it's very out there, but it's actually quite feasible that it could happen. So it's really smart. And and I was sitting there thinking, wow, you actually could be onto something here. And, and he's making a prototype, you know, Wow.
1: So I guess watch this space if we've definitely yeah. heard the last of, of Sam Potter. I don't and, think we have, and, no. and I
0: hope not. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Um this was side A. As we said earlier, we are going to have a side B. Um, there's plenty more to dig into for the we new haven't scene. Really we haven't really into, even touched on it. We, we haven't, haven't even, even dug
1: into any of my memories of New Year's Rave yet. So no, nothing, but that nothing that'll come,
0: yeah, that'll come out next time for sure. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to side A of our new rave tape. Um, We have literally just scratched the surface and we've got so much more to tell you. So keep listening out for side B, which will come later on in the series. Um, But if you want to get episodes as soon as they drop, make sure you subscribe to Demo Tapes on iTunes and while you're there, leave us a five-star review. So yeah, I guess it's just to say now, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
1: See you later.